Blog Talk Radio. The new theater of the mind. The Bruce Collins Show. Welcome back to the Bruce Collins Show. This is Bruce Collins. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Many of you may have tried to uh, connect with the show last week, thinking that we had a guest, Micah Hanks. Uh, actually, that guest, the the whole situation kind of fell through, uh, but it was my fault. I had uh, tried to book him for December 14th, and I found him on Twitter. I was having a hard time locating him through email and websites and all of that. But I did find him on Twitter, and I connected with him. He's an old guest from the Bruce Collins Show. And I asked him if he would be available for an interview. He said yes. I said, great. How about December 14th? And he wrote back, would December 7th work? And I totally missed that he was suggesting another date. And I said, great. December 14th it is. And then I connected with him right before the show started, and he said, well, I, I think I can make it. I had proposed a different date, but uh, I have an early flight the next day, but I think I can still do the show. And at that point, I felt like, boy, I certainly seemed like I was pushy asking him to perform a guest spot on December 14th when knowing that he was asking for a different date. So I said, no, let's not worry about it. Let's reschedule. I apologize. I didn't read your part where you were suggesting December 7th. So we have rebooked Micah Hanks. It's firm on both of our calendars. January 18th, 2023, he will be coming back to the Bruce Collins show. And I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to him. He doesn't have any new books right now. Um, Back when I interviewed him, he was writing uh, several books at a time, very prolific author. But right now he's writing for a website called The Debrief and uh, doing some other things. And we'll be talking about that again on January 18th. And uh, when you say 2023, you think that's so, so far away. But boy, we're almost there, folks. Almost time for the new year. Our guest tonight, though, is Dr. Stephen Soloway. I'm really excited to interview Stephen Soloway. He's the author of Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, insurance companies, and big government. Legislation written by drug and insurance companies malpracticed by corrupt and incompetent doctors, misguided and dishonest medical policy, the reality may be worse than you feared, and medical politics exposes all the secrets of a dirty American healthcare industry. Written by Stephen Soloway, one of America's top rheumatologists and a former appointee to Donald Trump's President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, this expose provides an inside look at how medical decisions are lobbied and money influences policy at the highest levels. And it explains how recent and upcoming medical policies will affect common Americans and gives recommendations for a better American medical system. Again, Dr. Stephen Soloway is our guest tonight at the bottom of the hour, or actually at the top of the hour. It's at the 30-minute mark of the show, but we're starting the show at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, which I know is kind of a strange start time, but uh, we're doing something different here at the Bruce Collins Show. So it's at the top of the hour, but at the bottom of our show hour. So there you go. I was right 50% of the time. Now, we've got some uh, top 10, uh, a top 10 list tonight. We did that the first week of the show, and I had two guests that went the full hour, so I haven't had time to do another top 10. We've got one tonight, and we also have some news, some very strange, weird, unusual news, as only can be provided by the Bruce Collins Show. And we'll be right back with our top 10 and our news in one moment.
All right, we're back with some top 10, uh, a top 10 list. Tonight's top 10 list uh, is about crazy laws, or maybe we could say unusual laws. Number 10, the state of Arkansas has a law in the books that regulates how the name of Arkansas is pronounced. And actually, maybe I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, it doesn't say here how I'm supposed to pronounce Arkansas. Maybe we should have a, an actual on-site Arkansan tell us how to pronounce Arkansas. Number nine, driving with a bear uncaged is illegal in Missouri. Now, I know these laws sound strange, but they're, this is actually true. So, again, number nine is driving with a bear uncaged is illegal in Missouri. Number eight, a fairly recent law in 2011 makes it illegal to be shirtless in Barcelona, Spain. There you go. Number seven. High-heeled shoes are only permitted in Carmel, California, if the wearer gets a permit from City Hall first. Number six, in 1969, the elected officials of Skamania County, Washington, and if you're from Skamania County, Washington, and I have mispronounced your county, please call the guest call-in line at 516-387-1742 and let me know how to pronounce Gamania County, or you can call us anyways. Again, you can call us at 516-387-1742. And let me repeat that since I took the long way around. The number six of the top 10 crazy laws is in 1969, the elected officials of Scamania County, Washington, made it illegal to kill a legendary Bigfoot, or maybe we could say a non-existent Bigfoot. The violation was originally a felony, but it was amended 15 years later to be a misdemeanor. Interesting. Number five, the Chinese government banned reincarnation without government permission in 2007. No words on if anyone came back illegally. Uh, Number four, that takes us to number four. Number four is in Louisiana, you can get fined for sending a pizza delivery driver to the wrong house. That law was obviously written before caller ID and smartphone apps. And number three, single women in La Paz, Bolivia, can drink as much booze as they like, but married women may only have one drink. Again, these are crazy laws throughout the world. Number two, it's actually a finable offense to build sandcastles in some countries. In some parts of Spain, Italy, and even the U.S., the authorities have cracked down on unruly castle builders. So you could just imagine somebody in Spain sharing a cell with you and you say to them, uh, or they say to you, what are you in here for? And you say, well, I built an unruly sandcastle. Indeed. Number one, the number one crazy law. We've already made it, folks, to number one of the top 10 crazy laws in the world as determined by Bruce Collins. That's me. Number one, sharing your Netflix password is punishable by a $2,500 fine and up to a year in jail in the state of Tennessee. Well, that seems a bit harsh, especially when a lot of streaming services allow you to share with other people. But uh, there you go. Those are the top 10 crazy laws in the U.S. And now, folks, right after this message... We're going to go to the news of the day, and at the bottom of the hour, or the top of the hour, (laughs) however you look at it, our guest, Dr. Stephen Soloway, will be joining us. Last week, I I did do a show and I canceled it, Um, but it ran for about 20 minutes and then I decided it wasn't worth keeping in uh, in iTunes or Blog Talk Radio or uh, Spreaker, which, by the way, the Bruce Collins Show is available on iTunes and Spreaker in case you have not heard. And also we have a Facebook page, the Bruce Collins Show, if you 
uh, like that and follow it, you can find out who is coming to the Bruce Collins show, the, the upcoming guests that we're going to have. We have a lot of great guests. As a matter of fact, I can talk about some of them tonight. Um, we have John O'Connor coming. John O'Connor has written a great book about Watergate and uh, actually ties it in nicely to some of the things that are going on today. And uh, I think you're going to find that interesting. We have John Tamney, who has written the book, The Money Confusion. Kenny Zhu, uh, An Inconvenient Minority. That's an interesting book. Detective J. Warner Wallace, Person of Interest is his book. And then we have Micah Hanks on the 18th and Richard Grund on January 24th. So, and again, check the Facebook page, The Bruce Collins Show, for all the upcoming guests and even a little bio on each of them has been posted. And I did want to mention something I, I had mentioned last week, uh, kind of a funny story. And it's sort of been a secret for a long time, but uh, I used to have a, a producer named Rick Hendrickson who produced many different shows. And one of them was a show called Lin, uh, Lynn Marzulli's show, Acceleration Radio. And if you don't know who that is, that that's not really relevant. But uh, something that happened that was kind of a secret and nobody knew what, what had happened was he was producing the show and uh, chatting with me online, I believe on Facebook Messenger or something like that. And I was just joking with him and I said, uh, you should say on the show, you know, you should cut in and say, this is the ghost of Rootin' Tootin'. And I thought that was, I thought Rootin' Tootin' was a ghost from the Three Stooges, but actually he was a prince. So I had the whole story wrong anyway. So, but when I said you should, I meant, wouldn't it be funny if you said this? And so a couple of seconds later, he wrote, I did it. And I said, you did what? And he said, and right about then, the audio was delayed. I heard him break into the show. And for a while, there was a big uproar about what what had interrupted the show. Well, that was the story behind it. It may not make sense to you now listening to this, but uh, people thought it was everything from a ghost to, you know, a, some some kind of evil thing. But it actually was the producer of the program taking me up on a dare. And I actually wasn't daring him because I didn't think he would do that. All right. Anyway, let's get to the news, shall we? Jerome Ellis, a Dollar General employee in DeLand, Florida, allegedly got into an argument with a coworker on October 24th, which prompted him to a retaliatory move that could have been deadly, Fox 35 TV reported. On October 25th, the victim set down a can of Pepsi and went to the restroom. When he returned, he took a drink of the soda and noticed it tasted like cleaning supplies. Sure enough, video surveillance cameras revealed that Ellis had poured bleach into the Pepsi can, wiped it off, then spit in it. Oh, boy. Cameras also caught Ellis trying to unplug the surveillance system. He told investigators that he put cleaning solution in the drink to get back at his coworker, who he said was difficult to work with. So let that be a lesson. If you're drinking from a can of Pepsi and you have to use the restroom, I don't know, maybe you should take it in with you. A man who stopped in a corn maze in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota on October 22nd to get a corn kernel out of his shoe accidentally shot himself in the leg, KMSP-TV reported. The 38-year-old, that sounds like a country song. I stopped in a corn maze and tried to take out a kernel and shot myself in the foot or in the leg. The 38-year-old from Circle Pines was carrying the gun uh, gun legally, pardon me, and it discharged when he bent over to retrieve the colonel. Police said the gun did not have a safety. The owner wasn't charged. No, he might not have been charged, but he had a painful leg injury for a while there. Not fun. The Wozniak family of Baltimore uh, looking up, looking to up their Halloween game ordered a prop casket on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, this is a good one. Again, the Wozniak family decided for their uh, for their Halloween decorations that they were going to order a prop casket and do it on uh, Facebook Marketplace, Fox News reported. But they got more than they bargained for when they found the ashes of Edith Cruz, who had died in January of COVID-19 inside. 
Horrible. They also found a photograph of Cruz, her death certificate, and her hospital bracelet. Oh, my. The Wozniaks posted about the discovery on TikTok. Well, that's another story in and of itself. Hoping to connect with her family members. Cruz's granddaughter happened to see the posting, and the items were returned. Cruz's family had rented the casket for the women's service from Freeman Funeral Services, and she had been cremated afterwards. Hmm. So the the casket was a rental. I've never. Well, I guess that's that's possible. I hadn't heard of that before, but that's that is very interesting that you can rent those things. But I guess if you're being cremated, then you don't actually need the full box, do you? So uh, that would be horrible. Very very bad. And you would have thought the seller would have checked it, quite frankly. But I don't know what the full story was. And on and upward. Self-proclaimed Britain's dullest man. Okay, I always hear these, get these stories, and I always wonder, you know, what, what are they talking about, self-proclaimed? How, so he proclaimed himself as dull. Why would he do that? I don't get it. Anyways, self-proclaimed Britain's dullest man, Kevin Beresford, has your holiday shopping list solution. <laughs> this ought to be good. The dullest man is giving us a shopping list solution. A 2023 calendar of Britain's best parking lots, the Daily Record reported. Beresford traveled the country from one end to the other, photographing parking lots and later compiling his favorites. So there was actually uh, too many to fill the calendar, apparently, and he took the, the best of the best parking lots. And he later compiled his favorites into a 12-month calendar. He should have seen July's parking lot. Wow. His personal favorite was Trinity Street Car Park in Birmingham. Featuring Now, if you live near Birmingham, please go to the Trinity Street Car Park and put a pic, post a picture on the Bruce Collins Show Facebook page. We'd like to see it. If it is, and we'll determine if it really is one of the most aesthetically pleasing car parking lots that you could find. And again, it's the Trinity Street Car Park in Birmingham. That was his personal favorite, featuring walls made of crushed cars and adorned with street art. Well, it is unusual. We'll give him that. Beresford said he focuses on slices of English life that nobody else does. I don't create your normal conventional calendars. It's sexy being dull. That's what he said. And by the way, Beresford is single, ladies. Volusia County, Florida officials are baffled by an object that has been unearthed at Dayton Beach Sands. You know, speaking of that, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to get a metal detector. I think that would be fun. I don't know if you've seen it on uh, Fox Nation. This year I decided to get Fox Nation because uh, during this time, it's a, I think they're charging for streaming a a dollar fifty a month or $18 for a year for streaming, which, as you know, if you stream, that's not a bad price for anything. Um, my thoughts about it are, though, that most of the programming I won't watch um, a lot of the political stuff, you can pretty much get it every day on Fox News if that's what you want. You can watch Hannity. You can watch Tucker. You can watch The Five, uh, Jesse Waters, Brett Baer, um, and Laura Ingraham. All of them, you know, do a – if you lean right and you like that kind of news programming, which is a lot of debate and editorializing – and a little bit of news, but they overlap, obviously, from program to program. But if you like that kind of programming, that's the majority of Fox Nation. And like I said, you can get it on Fox News if you already have some kind of cable streaming service. So there, it's not the greatest streaming service in the world, but it's very. it was very cheap at Christmas time. So I decided to get it to see what it was about. And one of, a couple of the shows that 
I guess are a selling point for Fox Nation would be Cops, which I really liked that show years ago. And um, I watched I watched that. They have new episodes of Cops. And then they also have a Duck Dynasty. Um, for those of you who remember Duck Dynasty on A&E, they have a Duck Dynasty, I guess, spinoff called Duck what is it? Duck family treasure or duck dynasty family treasure, something like that, where it's Jace, the brother, Jace, uh, uncle Cy is in it and Jep. Um, there, you don't see much of that, of Willie. That was his name. You don't see much of Willie in the show. Um, but you do see a couple of the brothers and uncle Cy and uncle Cy has a podcast, I guess now, and that's part of the program. But the, the program is supposedly they become friends with an older man who likes to hunt treasure and they go out and this is the segue. This is, this is the connection to my original thought about metal detectors. They go out to different parts of Louisiana and surrounding areas around where they live and they'll go on people's property, generally large parcels of land with a lot of fields and green and trees and they'll take their metal detectors and they'll look around for some treasure or that either was mythically buried in that area, you know, by rumors or they'll, they'll look at um, some of the things that, that are, that I guess in one episode, one of the brother's wife's friends lost her wedding ring. So they went around the yard looking for it. I guess they were stretched for a story that week, but it's pretty entertaining. And I mean, it's in the same, if you like duck dynasty, it's in the same vein as that. So is Fox nation worth $18 a year for duck family treasure and cops? Uh, who knows? But those are pretty good shows. I, I know that there's a documentary with Kevin Costner about Yellowstone that was pretty good. Um, and then they showed four of Kevin Costner's movies that month. But those movies you could have seen on other streaming services. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. Anyways, getting back to metal detectors, I've always kind of wanted to do that. That would be sort of fun. But I, I, I'm under where I live. I would go to parks, and there's there's a swamplands area near where I live, and I could take that out. But I'm thinking that I would only find quarters and dimes and nickels, which I have some of those in my possession. So I'm I'm thinking probably, you know, it's stretching to think that I could find a bar of gold or something like that. But it would be fun. Anyway, getting back to the the news story that took me off subject and veered me to the right and then to the left, and now I'm back on the track. Uh, Volusia County, Florida officials are baffled by an object that has been unearthed at Dayton Beach Sands. ClickOrlando.com reported. I don't know what clickorlando.com is. Apparently that's news coming out of Orlando, Florida, I take it. In the aftermath of Hurricanes Ian and Nicole, the the 80 to 100 foot long structure appeared. Oh, this this article's getting interesting. Okay, so after the hurricanes in Dayton Beach Sands, a 80 to 100 foot long structure appeared. Partially buried in the sand, said Volusia Beach Safety Deputy Chief Tammy Malfers. I don't know what a safety deputy chief is, but uh, it must be something important. We're not sure what it is, she said, adding that she'd been on the beach for 25 years and has never seen it before. Well, they don't really say what it is. They just say it's a struck 80 to 100. That's a long structure. And I mean, that's how long it is. They don't say how wide it is. Is it like a house? Is it like a suitcase? We don't know. One thing we can be sure of is safety deputy chief 
Tammy Malfers is not sure what it is. In other words, she's getting paid well to not know. And uh, I would actually love to dig into this story some more. Maybe some of you can. But it, again, it, the original story is reported by Click Orlando. And it also says that the storms caused unprecedented beach erosion, meaning I gather that's meaning that this structure could have been there quite a long time and that these hurricanes obviously took it out and uh, exposed it. An archaeological team from the state is expected to visit soon to study the object. Again, I would like to do some more digging on that and see what they find out from that, because that does sound kind of intriguing. But we've almost come to the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour, however you look at it, 6 p.m. Pacific time, my time. And our guest is going to be at the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour, Dr. Stephen Soloway. Again, he's the author of Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Um, Dr. Stephen Soloway is a friend of the Trump family. He uh, he's also was appointed to the, Don, uh, the President Trump's uh, Council of uh, the Council of Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, and he is considered one of the top rheumatologists in America. So I'm very honored to have him on the program and happy to look into the corruption that he writes about in his book in the medical field, not just in medicine, but in also, also in the doctors themselves, the government, the insurance, all of it. Uh, apparently there's a lot of things that are horribly running rampant in the medical field. Again, when we return, we will be talking to Dr. Stephen Soloway. So don't, don't go away. Hello, welcome back to the Bruce Collins Show. Uh, my guest is uh, Dr. Stephen Soloway. And uh, Dr. Stephen Soloway is the author of Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. Legislation written by drug and insurance companies, malpractice by corrupt and incompetent doctors, misguided and dishonest medical policy, the reality may be worse than you feared, and medical politics exposes all the secrets of a dirty American healthcare industry. Written by Dr. Stephen Soloway, one of America's top rheumatologists and a former appointee to Donald Trump's President's Council on Sports, 
fitness, and nutrition, this expose provides an inside look at how medical decisions are lobbied and money influences policy at the highest levels. And it explains how recent and upcoming medical policies will affect common Americans and gives recommendations for a better American healthcare medical system. Dr. Stephen Soloway, welcome to the Bruce Collins Show. Thank you so much for having me tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you on. Now, before we start, can you give us the website of the book where people can find it? Yes. Yeah, I, I'd be um, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't. The website is www.badmedicinebook.net. That's badmedicinebook, one word, the whole thing, .net. Great. Now, before we talk about your book, Medical Politics, there was also a companion book to this book called Bad Medicine. Can you give us an overview yeah. about what this book was about? Bad Medicine, some call it a memoir, uh, but Bad Medicine was everything that I saw that was horrible starting from the first day of medical school until I got till. Uh, I don't know, 15 years into practice, and uh, my brain kind of turned off at that point because I couldn't take it anymore, and that's when I started thinking about the second book. But uh, <laughs> just to give you some examples, I, I've seen, uh, I've, I literally saw a guy uh, smoking a cigarette in an, os uh, in an oxygen mask, and he blew up. I've, I've seen one guy put gasoline on his brother on July 4th, and I watched him burn him, burn his brother to death. Um, I've seen people in uh, a bad neighborhood uh, knock over a tree, get under the tree when there was a storm, and claim they were all disabled. Oh, I've, I've seen all kinds of bad things, terrible things. People dropped on the floor because they're overweight on purpose. Um, people making fun of uh, patients for no reason, just horrible things, horrible things. Now, th this but, book is but, very um, sobering. Again, it's Medical Politics by uh, Dr. Stephen Soloway. Dr. Soloway, the first chapter in your book is about how medical ethics does not actually exist. Can you explain some of the ways that medicine is not ethical? Yeah. So um, uh, I would say that for medicine to be ethical, everyone should be on the up and up. You should be able to sit and speak to your doctor. You should be able to get questions answered. You should get the correct answer. And frankly, if your doctor doesn't know an answer, they shouldn't just, you know, mumble off some stuff and tell you, you know, this is what blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're making up a story kind of like fake news or this would be fake answers because there's a lot of doctors out there that don't know the answers. Now, um, strictly speaking, from a ethical standpoint, not in the exam room, you know, uh, drug companies are disallowing the prescriptions. They're disallowing uh, injectable drugs, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, all in the name of money. So when money becomes the guiding factor to your care, then that's not ethical. And if you find out that you know, your insurance company gives you, quote, access to care, um, this is not the same as good care because if you have a lousy insurance deemed by the doctor not to pay you enough, you know, your next appointment for you might be in two years, in which case you're going to go, uh, you might die or you might have to go to an emergency room every night. That's not really, that's very unethical as well. And then there are doctors that get together in groups and they'll purchase an urgent care and they'll close their office on Thursday and Friday directing the people to go to their urgent care where a visit's $200 instead of $50. Or a hospital may purchase an urgent care and um, they too will guide you to their urgent care who will then direct you for $2,000 to their emergency room and then you can get a good Band-Aid for $50 and, you know, if you're lucky, you can get a cookie and a lollipop when they send you home and say, we can't help you. And then you can go call around for doctors that won't take you because you just don't have, quote, good insurance. Um, now, Medicare for all or something like this, this would be a horrible idea 
because then there'd be no motivation, there'd be increased taxes, there'd be fixed incomes, and so on and so forth. And other other very unethical things are taking, um, and, and this is no disrespect to um, any nurses or physicians' assistants, but um, there are certain states where the physician assistant no longer needs to have a collaboration with a physician at all, and they can just open up their own practice. And it's uh, no different than graduating medical school and having no residency and just saying, you know what, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon today and hang up a sign. There's nothing prohibiting that. That's that's all pretty unethical. Um, I mean, if you want to talk for about four hours on this topic, we need to extend the show, but uh, I can keep going with lots of stuff. Oh, no, um, I know. And and your book has uh, plenty of uh, examples. One of the examples is the Sunshine Act. Can you touch on that? Oh, Lord. Yeah, um, the Kennedy family decided that doctors aren't allowed to fraternize with um, pharmaceutical industries. And uh, it used to be – now, let's be realistic. Um, in all business, uh, whether you're a car salesman or whether you're a uh, anything that you sell anything – you typically uh, fraternize, socialize, have dinner, lunch, whatever, um, talk about the pipeline, the products, and so on. So um, probably 15 to 20 years ago and prior to that, um, all the doctors in a particular field would meet at a particular city, and um, there'd be dinners in groups of 30 to 50 doctors or, or smaller groups and so on and so forth. And, you know, the restaurants would be Morton's and Ruth Chris and your typical steakhouse in each town. And um, uh, $50 steak, $20 glass of wine, potatoes and salad and and a dessert and whatever. And that was kind of industry industry standard. Well, the Sunshine Sunshine Act prohibits um, a a pharmaceutical person from spending more than $7.50 per meal per, per, per doctor. So you have doctors' offices that'll say they have 75, you know, uh, employees, and um, uh, you know, 75 uh, employees times seven dollars or seven dollars and fifty cents. They could actually get pepperoni on their pizza if they want to talk to the pharmaceutical rep. Um, you know, not not that all pharmaceutical reps and um, pharmacy companies uh, that pharmaceutical companies are ethical because certainly there's a um, uh, a lack of ethics going on when drug prices are, you know, unaffordable to billionaires, and um, we have two or three or four of the same drug made by four different companies, and then a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth drug of the exact same variety comes along when there's still no treatment for Parkinson's, there's no treatment for mental illness, drug addiction, brain cancer, and so on. So why we continue to pump out, you know, uh, over-the-counter pain relievers and all these things uh, by different companies is is just ridiculous. Um, um, Sunshine doesn't address that, of course, but it addresses uh, the pharmaceutical sales from coming in and talking to you about products um, and having it over lunch. And uh, so nobody wants to meet with the pharmaceutical people anymore. So they've they've created a disruption between communication of possibly learning, you know, the nuances of a new product. If, uh, you know, uh, doctors may not be familiar, they couldn't keep up with their reading um, and so on. Mm-hmm. And again, the book is Medical Politics, and you can find out more about this book at badmedicinebook.net. Again, badmedicinebook.net. And we all know, uh, Stephen, that the government appears to be broken in the United States as well as elsewhere. How does bad government influence bad health care? So bad medicine is uh, created by um, the government because what's happening is um, uh, the government is basically the way I see they're passing out money to hospital systems and to private equity and uh, private and government, you know, that sounds like a misnomer, but it's really not. And people are taking large sums of money. They're buying up all the practices. They're making all the doctors employees nine-to-five shift workers, and there's three shifts around the clock. So you never really get to know your doctor. There may be 24-hour coverage, but um, 
you know, again, access and quality are not the same. It's driving patients to drop insurances, go to concierge medicine. Um, you have these these um, hospital systems collecting this money, and uh, they collect money in the form of uh, payments. Uh, sometimes they're disguised, for example, as um, we'll give a hospital $150,000 per trainee, and the hospital has nobody qualified to teach, yet they'll take 50 trainees, take all this money, they'll pay the the student 50000 a year, the rest of the money goes to the system so they can buy up more practices, which they then prohibit the doctor from referring out of the system because um, it's territorial. So if your hospital system um, buys up all the family doctors in your area, then uh, you don't really have a choice who your family doctor is, and they may rotate offices, and you don't know where anybody is. You want to go to a specialist, you'll only get referred to their friend, and when you try to balk at that, you'll be told, um, oh, you know, your insurance plan uh, is not quite good enough to go out of network, and everybody is kind of stuck in network, and the doctors that are um, employed by the hospital, which are paid off by the government, so that the government is auditing, say, a thousand hospitals loosely as opposed to a million doctors, um, uh, the shifting uh, all this um, money to uh, make the hospitals take more control, which in turn gives the government all the control. So I like to give the example that free speech was given up to Google from the government by proxy, and uh, now the federal government has uh, disguised some health care plans um, so by proxy, you've lost your freedom of health care. A good example of that would be um, Medicare Advantage. So you go on Medicare, and in the old days, before um, the last few years, and Obamacare and such, uh, you'd get Medicare and you'd get a supplement, and uh, you'd pay a small amount, and the Medicare would pay 80% of the bill, and then the supplement would pick up the other 20%, and the doctor would order the test, and the doctor would order everything. Uh, the problem is people don't know this, but the um, Medicare Advantage is an HMO, and the doctor will get paid the Medicare rate, which they don't like because it's lower than anyone else. And unfortunately, the um, HMO, which is your Blue Cross or your Cigna or Humana or United Healthcare, when you have one of those as your supplement, they dictate the rules of what medicine you can get, what formulary they have, what testing is allowed, what criteria for the testing. Um, your doctor, whether they're in good graces or not within the system they were bought up by, still has to abide by now the drug company. I'm sorry, sorry, the pharmaceutical company. No, the Blue Cross, the Aetna, I must be getting tired. Um, so <laughs> they're, they're bound by the guidelines of the HMO. But nobody with Medicare thinks they're in an HMO, but everybody who has Medicare Advantage is now crippled. And, you know, if Obama had his way, there'd be euthanasia at 75, and Medicare would not pay for dialysis. And, of course, with that, you know, your private insurance uh, insurers, they would just say, yeah, we don't allow dialysis over, over that age or whatever. And so Aetna would deny it, so Medicare wouldn't pay it, or Blue Cross would deny it, and Medicare won't pay it. So unlike 10 years ago or 15 well unlike the president 15 years ago 16 years ago started off this cascade of garbage medical care and um so you know you just can't go to the doctor and get done what you need and and there's no shortage of doctors but there's a there's an exodus of doctors that are experienced and smart who are retiring because they don't want to deal with all the the bureaucracy and the rules and the regulations um, you know, they're stealing the capitalistic uh, entrepreneurial, which is not stealing money, but it's motivating doctors to work harder. It's motivating scientists to produce um, better outcomes and better drugs and uh, more efficient care and services. But no, you know, when you take, a, take away that motivation, which is what the government has done very successfully, 
um, you get all these uh, excellent clinicians who have been, you know, 20, 30 years uh, seeing patients, having relationships with patients, just saying, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm retiring or I'm quitting or I'll drive an Uber or sell hot dogs, anything better than, you know, being run by the government. Okay, that's a great segue because, you, you, as you said, great doctors are leaving. And your book discusses how liberal policies and the lack of ethics has created poorly trained doctors. Can you elaborate on that? Why, why are they poorly trained? Um, it's a good question why they're poorly trained. I kind of wish they were well trained. But give me an example. Um, there's a hospital system that, you know, for money, they're um, loading up the teaching program. The problem is, is that with all the good doctors that are leaving, the doctors that are left behind, uh, they're not board certified or qualified to teach. However, they're there, and that seems to be good enough. Now, they used to have rules where if a program had like a uh, excessive failing rate on the board exam, that the training program would be dismembered or dismantled. Well, those rule those rules, you know, they're followed now very loosely. Uh, the hospitals seem to have all this protection. You can't sue them. Nobody wants to sue them. You know, nobody wants to challenge them. Um, it's a very uh, precarious uh, situation. Now, uh, I know um, some college students with 4.0 GPAs who did not get into medical school, yet there seems to be a tremendous amount of doctors from Southeast Asia who run in and out of the room speaking broken English, and whether they're smart or not, nobody would know because they're not understandable. Now, why all these J-1 visa candidates are staying forever and taking the spot for motivated, um, intelligent Americans, I'm not really sure. I don't know. Um, again, the government and the, the visas um, that are issued, you know, there's always uh, a backstory. And sometimes the backstory isn't even known to some insiders because it depends how close to the vest, you know, the guy holding the pen um, is willing to talk or, or uh, let be known. Um, but it, it's it's really uh, becoming a problem because um, the other thing that the hospitals are doing, they're encouraging the doctor to stop after their bare minimum training and just work at that hospital. So the training of subspecialists such as uh, gastroenterologists or cardiologists or lung specialists or uh, joint specialists, they're being discouraged from going on to the higher learning. So um, a good example would be if you're in high school, you're encouraged to go to college. Well, we used to uh, preach that if you're an internist, you need to go on after your three years of medicine and you need to become an oncologist or a hematologist or a gastroenterologist, rheumatologist, endocrinologist, because if nobody goes into these fields, then you're only going to have your GP and their level of um, knowledge does not exceed, you know, um, that level. And, the, you know, the care has to be diluted. It has to be. And so the better doctors that haven't retired that, you know, have a few gray hairs, these people have waiting lists of three and six months. And, you know, it's not fair to the patients. It's just a difficult situation. And by allowing more poor quality people into our system is not helping the problem. We need to, again, motivate the smart people to want to be physicians and privatize medicine, not continually trying to socialize medicine where nobody wants to go. Um, it, it's, uh, it is not a good situation, I must tell you. You do not want to be a patient. I, I tell people, you know, your, your warranty is up at 30 on your parts, but at 50 your engine light comes on. Well, when you're 50 and that engine light comes on, and you find out, hey, my doctor's not coming to the hospital anymore because they hired these Southeast Asians to come come in and do night call, and nobody knows you, you don't know them, they won't answer your questions, the nurses don't come in the room anymore, they're on the computer, you don't really get to talk or ask a question. Um, if your medicine's not in stock because it's too expensive, they won't let your family bring in your medicine from home. Um, you'll call the nurse supervisor or the administrator, they're not there or, you know, conveniently they're, they're missing or, you know, you're just 
it, it's uh, it's not a good place to be. I must tell you, um, knowing the system and and fighting in the system, um, uh, it's an eye opening and shocking experience to. Um, to me, but as long as I'm fighting for my patients, that's the the best I, I as an individual can do other than write these books and try to spread the word out there and hope that some politicians uh, get medicine back to um, a free system. When I say free, not free of charge, free, um, free of government overreach, because, you know, as we all know, the government can't do anything better than the private sector, and that'll never change. Yeah, and that's sobering. And I, I do recommend this book. Again, the title is Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government by Dr. Stephen Soloway. And again, you can find out more information on this book at badmedicinebook.net. And of course, you can order this book on Amazon.com and elsewhere. Um, I do have a few oh, more I'll questions. Sign it. For... I'll sign it if you order the other ones. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to order All... a second book then. Yeah, anything ordered on uh, badmedicinebook.net, I'm going to personalize it to you. In fact, there was an order that came in from Washington State, and I wrote on the, you know, books, Go Hoosiers or, you know, whatever, Cougars, sorry, Washington Cougars. Um, And, you know, any book that comes from any state, they're getting little, you know, funny logos to do with their state and personalized things. Excellent. Well, if you see one for Bruce Collins in the next 24 hours. Give me a smiley face. I, I think I, I think I could do that. I, you know what? In fact, I make a smiley face in my S's, and I make a uh, line through the S's of my name um, as a little homage to Andy Warhol, one of my one of my favorite painters, artists, whatever. Yeah. Excellent. Now, um, I, I I did want to um, ask you about. Uh, I read in your book that Horizon Blue Cross offered to give a gift card for Dunkin' Donuts if people switch to a generic drug. What's the upside for Horizon on this deal? And also, what's your take on generic drugs in general? I'm so glad you asked me that question. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so that is that is the most unscrupulous, god-awful, pitiful, 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 pitiful display of anything. That's the most unethical behavior there is. So, okay, why is it so pitiful and what's the upside? Well, so um, there are medications today that, for whatever reason, cost, uh, let's say, $20 a pill, $30 a pill. And there are generic versions of these drugs that are pennies a pill. So the motivation for the company is they will save um, on a statewide basis, uh, perhaps you know tens of millions of dollars if everybody switches from uh, twenty dollars to twenty cents. Uh, that's a magnitude a uh, hundred or a thousand fold. Now here's the problem: uh, while there are some generic drugs that are perfectly okay to switch, there are some that are life threatening and dangerous to switch. Um, So, for example, people who are on benzodiazepines, uh, Valium, Xanax, whatnot for anxiety, those drugs only work on what is referred to as a threshold effect. So if you need one milligram of Xanax, which is um, Alprazolam generic, that one milligram is what you need. And if your threshold is 0.99 or 0.98 milligrams for it to work when you take it. If you were to take 0.95, it's like taking candy. It's a placebo because you didn't cross your threshold. Well, the generic does not have to be legally 100% of the actual drug. has to be somewhere in the 90% range. So there's why the generic, even if it were a perfect equivalent, is, is essentially watered down by 10% to save the generic company money, which is why their drugs can be cheaper, they're off patent, and the, the quality control, it's all watered down. There's other drugs, um, uh, diuretics. Um, so interestingly, diuretics, uh, 
they are generic and have been for many years, but they also work on a threshold effect. But uh, you'll notice that with these threshold effect drugs that are old, such as Lasix, people will prescribe almost too much in the hopes that they don't have to titrate or build up the dose. It's not a good practice to be in. You can't you can't adequately treat patients worrying how much active ingredient is in the drug. Um, so what's in it for the, the drug company is uh, money. What's in it for the um, patient is a free cookie or donut. And um, uh, the quality of the medicine is, is not the same. Um, it's kind of like comparing um, a, a new Bentley to a used uh, Kia. Um, yes, they're both cars. They both have four tires. Um, they both have four seats. And that's where the likenesses end. Um, you know, you want your uh, uh, true and correct drug. You don't want to see a different pill with you know, possibly five, eight, nine, eleven percent less of the active ingredient, and you're wondering, gee, I wonder why my my medicine isn't working. And then, you know, these poor patients who accept the free donut uh, or fifty dollars or whatever it is they're getting, these poor people, they go to refill their prescription. And and by the way, you know, with some plans, the generic and the other drug, the only difference to the patient might be five or twenty dollars or something like that. It's not like hundreds or thousands of dollars. All of a sudden, the patients aren't doing well, so they go to the doctor and they say, "Gee, you know, uh, I haven't been doing very well." And unless the doctor knows, like, oh, you know, Zoloft or all these um, SSRIs, same thing, um, threshold effect. You know, if you need 100 milligrams, you can't take 90 milligrams. So now you got to start prescribing 125 or 150, because you know, if you're not feeling well. You either have to say, I have the wrong diagnosis or the wrong medicine. So if you have the wrong medicine, but it's really the right medicine, you have to increase the dose. But this creates a lot of problems for the doctor treating the patient. Um, and it's often overlooked because people aren't necessarily telling their doctor, gee, you know, I took that $50 or I took that donut and, um, you know, they switched my drug from uh, brand to generic. Hmm. And again, the book is Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. Obviously, in the course of a half an hour interview, we can't talk about everything in this book. That's why you need to buy the book. We touched on a little bit of this, but the book goes into detail about bad politicians, bad doctors, bad pharma, bad insurance. So there's a bad insurance industry. So there's a lot of uh, detail in this book. And again, it's praised by Donald J. Trump Jr. and also Mike Huckabee. And uh, by the way, Dr. Soloway, I checked out your YouTube channel and I admired uh, the fact that you got a happy birthday from Donald Trump, a man that I voted for twice. So uh, that was uh, awesome. And, you know, what he said is true. He, he said um, he says he's a little bit different, but that's a good thing. <laughs> I agree. And again, you can find out more information and get an autographed copy of this book, Medical Politics, by Dr. Stephen Soloway at badmedicinebook.net. Again, that's badmedicinebook.net. Dr. Stephen Soloway, thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope I can talk to you again sometime. I can't wait to be back on because we, we just started the conversation. It was wonderful. I wish you the healthiest uh, holidays and New Year to you and your family and loved ones. Thank you so much. Happy hol holidays, Dr. Soloway. And thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, we will be back next week with another guest, exciting guest. And uh, take care. Happy holidays in the meantime. And uh, have a great couple of days before Christmas. Take care. <laughs>